Hello and welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode is entitled, Great Guy is Finally Here, and it is about the film The Return of Great Guy, and our guests for this episode are two folks who know something about The Return of Great Guy and why it took them so long to get here. Uh, is, well, I guess we should say the first guest is, well, great guy himself. Hello, I'm Hello. David DeChico. David DeChico and the director. Oh, sorry, Michael Sanchez. <laughs> Michael Sanchez, sorry. <laughs> That's but okay. You know we I both couldn't... actually stumbled at the same time. I was like, should I say the guy's name? I just met the guy. And I didn't I realize, thought... you know, I used to portray great guy at one time. So I thought that I was like, wait. Is that Ooh, the plot me, great guy, thickens. or does he mean great guy Damon? <laughs> oh, the plot thickens. So I, yeah. I have to know. I, I only I only know Damon is great guy. Well, oh, uh, like also, I kind of felt like like I got distracted because I was like, oh man, I don't like the title of this podcast. I think <laughs> it should be because I always thought like like you know. Like, I always thought if there was going to be a documentary or some, like, posterity recorded thing, it should be called The Return of the Return of Great Guy. You know what I mean? Like, I thought that would be just, just like, stupid enough to have return said twice. <laughs> but it's, yeah, um, that might be too meta. Yeah. So... Uh, we can get into me as great guy. That's part of the origin of, of part of the origin. Well, I guess we should explain real quick uh, the thumbnail sketch IMDb plot summary <laughs> of yeah. the return of great guy before we, we get into origin stories and all that great stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you want to sum it up, Damon? Sure. Um, great guy is an ordinary guy who uh, desperately wants to be a superhero but has none of the qualities you would associate with a successful superhero. He is not strong or fast or smart or rich or powerful in any way. Um, and, uh, and in some ways, know, isn't that great of a guy? Isn't, isn't that great of a guy really? Although, you know, I like to think he redeems himself by the end of the film. Um <laughs> Ultimately ends up in a legal battle with a um, multinational corporation. I won't um, I won't spoil it beyond that, except to say that, uh, you know, we have to sort of ask who the real villains are. And, um, you know, uh, there's a redemption. And, you know, I won't uh, I won't totally spoil the ending for people who might be listening to this that might want to check out the film. And you should check out the film if you're listening to this. It is fantastic and wonderful and hilarious. And I enjoyed watching. I got to watch the film yesterday and it was just delightful. It is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. I will even use the word wonderful to describe. <laughs> and it also, you know, it has multiple protagonists because you have multiple characters that have to choose who they're going to mm. be and what they're going to change. And so, yeah. which I will say, except for Coda, most of the Oscar movies, nominated movies for 2022, the 2022 Oscars did not feature characters. Licorice Pizza, no one may had to make a choice. They just <laughs> had to decide how to be better rich people. 
Mm. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm going to be a better, more eccentric, out of touch, rich person. And that was it. You know, Coda had people who had to make tough decisions. Return of Great Guy has three characters that have to make tough decisions. And mm. I, as, as someone who teaches creative writing, I appreciate that, that the Return of Great Guy has a morally complex plot. I, that was a purely accident. That was uh, <laughs> uh, we, we didn't mean for that. I, I, you know what? I don't even know. <laughs> I, I feel like we did. We like, like, like in a way, we weren't really tr like trying to tell any story except great guys. I feel like you know, like, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Did you feel like we were putting any morals into the story, Damon? Well, I mean, I don't know that we were putting morals into the story per se, but I will say, you know, at the time that we made it, and again, maybe we're getting into, you know, origin story stuff here, but um, the year that we made Great Guy was one of the worst years in my life. And I just really felt like I was being kicked when I was down for most of that year. And so mm -hmm. I put a lot of that into the Great Guy character um, mm -hmm. and you know, that was actually a huge part for me of why I was so intent that we finish this film all these years later, because mm -hmm. that whole year of my life, that was the only thing I was doing that actually felt good or I cared about. Mm -hmm. And it was like, really, for me, it wasn't just about getting the movie out. It was about like redeeming that whole year of my life that was otherwise yeah. lost. Yeah. Which we not should to get mention, too heavy. <laughs> not to get too heavy, but I, I think one of the things that also that I appreciate about this film so much and why I titled the podcast this. Um, so what year was that again? Um, so we shot the film in the summer of 2006, mostly, but, you know, pre-production, you know, writing the script and bouncing drafts back and forth and figuring out who was going to play the characters and like where we were going to shoot stuff. I mean, it was a whole year. It was a whole year of between pre-production and production of the film. And since the internet is forever and DVDs are forever, if this ends up as a DVD extra, what year is it right now? It's 2022. <laughs> wow. So I, I think that for me also is one of the layers of enjoyment that I brought to the film, I think, or got from the mm. film was that it, it, this is the little film that could. I mean, and finally did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the whole thing is, is like, you know, I was just talking with another friend of mine from Seattle who was at the, the screening, my, my buddy Brandon. And he was like, the fact that this got, I mean, the fact that any film, you know, budget or no budget can be completed, like done is like an amazing feat. You know, and, and this film had like tons of technical difficulties and amateur uh, <laughs> just like, you know, it just had all sorts of things against it. The fact that we had no idea what we were doing, you know, like <laughs> like we, we probably made this film because we had no idea what we were doing, because if we had some clue of how of what we should be doing or how hard it actually was, we, we probably wouldn't have done it. Like in hindsight, looking at it now, learning everything that I've learned, would I do it again? If I had money, maybe. <laughs> the same exact way? Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but the answer should be no. I mean, I have two kids. I'm going to be like, you know, 
like and i don't know like it, it just it just wouldn't be possible with the amount of energy that i have like at this point in my life you know but back then i just you know it seemed like there was just an endless amount of energy that you could that you could tap into yeah uh, well I, I but i think too and this is you know i have this previous standing relationship with damon i've known damon since probably mm -hmm. not long after damon moved to pittsburgh i miss damon very much living in pittsburgh um pittsburgh feels different without damon in it um uh, i'll say that uh one of the things is always impressing with damon and the way that damon has been a transformative relationship for me was this just this this true diy spirit of i don't know let's just do this thing <laughs> Let's do this thing. I don't think I would have done a theremin noise based Christmas compilation album if I hadn't met Damon, who was like, let's do this thing. Yeah. You know? And I think there there is just something so liberating and free about that. Mm. I mean, it's also it is a good movie. But again, this is another yeah. layer that I, sure, I brought sure. to the film was that enjoying the film was that I knew a little bit of how long it's been in. I think, you know, yeah, since before I met Damon, the whole time I, I think I knew actually we had mentioned doing this podcast, I think within the first year of our friendship, Damon. Yeah. When, when the movie's done, which, when the movie's you know, done, which was going to be yeah. just a few it, months. It's going to be this year. Well, it wasn't this year. It's going to be yeah. next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's redemption, but also what does it mean? I guess, yeah, if we're talking origin story, but also just the mechanics of how do you finish this movie? How did you make this movie? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I was thinking about this the other day because I was trying to think about, I was explaining to somebody that Damon was great guy in the movie, but that I had portrayed great guy like years before I used to go around Seattle performing live as great guy and he had a different costume back then um, but I was trying to think of like where did great guy even come from and the original idea came to me when I was living in New York City years ago I just thought like like we only see like so much of like what a superhero does in movies or comic books we don't see them go to the bathroom we don't see them cooking dinner. We don't see them burning dinner. We don't see them at the bank. We don't see, you know, like there's all these little aspects of their lives that we don't see. And to me, that just seemed like so endlessly fascinating. And then like on top of that, like if you were a superhero or intent in being a superhero, but but had no superpowers and had no money like Batman or or or, or whatever, what would that look like? <laughs> How sad could it get? Like, I was really interested in just like, in like, kind of like, just watching someone cave in on themselves or implode their lives. And like, you know, what, 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 what motivates them to want to do that, you know? Um, and, you know, I just started like, I think I started like writing these weird little scripts for myself as great guy and I would I would go out and I'd perform music as great guy. And, and my idea, my his backstory to me was like, oh, he was this kind of like down and out superhero who'd had like a little bit of some problems with the law and, you know, just getting in trouble for his vigilanteism and had gotten into some alcoholism. And 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 I just love that he was this troubled person. Long story short, 
uh, I had been experimenting with these little short films and it was just too hard to portray great guy and shoot it, you know? Mm. And so I'll chime in here and say that the, um, the return of great guy short film is still available, I think on YouTube. It is, Um, And there are elements from the plot of that, that we took for the feature version of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I made a, I made a really short, like little two minute short. And I think at that point, Damon and I knew each other. We had worked at this this bookstore together and we had played shows together. And then we helped, we we made a little film together. Like I edited a document, like a, a mockumentary of one of your other bands and um and i don't know like like yeah we we worked together on on post-production for i know a few episodes ago you had some of those guys from bob and the dangerous brothers on Mm. we 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 did some post-production for their film (laughs) yeah um but yeah like damon had you know kind of like good hair and a nice jawline and he was like kind of silly and weird and i thought you know what, like, it'd be cool if I could get this dude to play great guy. And, and I just asked him, and I think this film's success and this film's doom was him saying yes, you know, like, <laughs> like, was him being just weird and crazy enough to be like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? It's that same, it's that same ingredient that you were talking about. Like, he's just like DIY, like, well, why can't we do it? You know? And so, yeah, it just, like it just took off from there. And I think for, for me, like that was the first time that I ever really worked um, at least with film stuff with another person, you mm. know? Um, so that was really interesting because we really like split up the duties. I felt like he was such a big picture person and I'm, and I'm such a like minute little detail person that it, it, it felt like a pretty good fit. Um, and yeah, I mean, we both had like a similar sense of humor too. just like, you know, we were, you know, silly, but like philosophical and then, you know, sprinkle some punk rock in there. And mm. like, yeah, it was just, you know, it was fun. Um, but but again, to reiterate, we had we had no idea what we were doing. Like I had some idea. Oh, I was going to mention I had watched and loved El Mariachi mm. and from from director Robert Rodriguez. And his book that he wrote that kind of chronicles that the making of that film was like my Bible for years. I just like read that thing all the time. And so for me, I was like, fuck, yeah, I can make a low budget movie and and and, and do whatever I want, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so we just we were like, OK, and then we made a plan and then we fucking did most of it. <laughs> So can can I ask what was the budget for the film? We don't you, really you know. know. It was less than five thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, probably I, less than. Uh, well, I'm counting buying the camera. Three. I'm counting buying the camera. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Still I mean, less than five thousand dollars. <laughs> I mean, the idea was to do it for nothing. You know, like mm. like like most of what we got, like. You know, like like things that we spent money on. I spent money on the the actual camera because I, you know, I just thought, okay, I need a good camera to do this. But I didn't know anything about lights. I didn't know anything about sound, really. I mean, I mean, I did know about sound, but not like professional sound, we'll say. Like I had like my own weird way of doing stuff. And um there's a scene in the mo- in the movie with a cop car 
uh, I spent money on the light that was on the top of that cop car because the, the car was donated from like a Craigslist person. And, and I tied, we, we tied that light onto the car with some rope. And I, we actually had, totally to, illegal. Cut it, we had to cut totally it out with some shots. <laughs> but, but I bought that light. I think I got that light on eBay for $75. And then something happened between me buying it and then needing, because I was going to just buy it and then sell it. They like changed their policies or something. And so I ended up selling it on Craigslist for $75. But there were scenes where you could like see the rope <laughs> on the roof of the car, like holding the light on. And we had to like, like crop them out of the shots. Um, so yeah, we just spent money when we had to, but if we didn't have to, we didn't, you know, like most of what we got was donated most everyone worked for free. I don't, I don't think we fed anybody except for maybe the CEO office shots. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we got some pizza for that. And it, unless I'm mistaken, there were a couple of props that, I mean, most of it was donated as Michael said, you know, sometimes we had to drive out somewhere to get it. Like those cow skulls in Marty McBride's office. Um, mm -hmm. we drove out to Bonnie Lake, Washington, um, which if you don't know is, you know, probably about 45 minutes to an hour outside of Seattle, out towards the mountains and like, you know, went to this weird guy's trailer and he made <laughs> Michael like sign something saying he would bring them back and, you know, was telling us all about how he used them to educate his kids, which I don't really understand how you educate your kids with cow skulls. It was a, it was a weird scene. Uh, but you know, we got those cow skulls. We didn't pay anything for them. There were a couple of props Michael bought online and then turned around and sold for more than he bought them for, which really? was probably how we paid for the pizza for the, for the office guys in the, yeah. uh, the, the, uh, boardroom scene. Yeah. The, the other oh. prop I was thinking about was what you're thinking about the custom cereal boxes. Mm. Oh, I still have one of those. <gasps> Yeah, I mean, that was just big, uh, you know, printouts from Kinko's, like, taped over real cereal boxes. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I remember I remember making it, though, because I wanted, like, a shot of Damon kind of, like, like with the bowl and, like, him just, like, because you know how you always see, like, Lucky Charms or the Tricks Rabbit? They're always, like, over this glowing, like, bowl. And I wanted that kind of de demonic lighting. So I remember we lit it. <laughs> Like we lit him from the bottom and he was just like, you know, with his, do you have the box, Damon? Can you, can you grab it? Is it somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's close. Hang on. <laughs> oh dear. I, I, so in terms of collectibles, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll I, talk later about whether. I'd love to print some more. I, I, so I, yeah, I took the picture. I, I like opened it in Photoshop and I just designed that whole box myself. And then, I, and then we printed it out and taped it around a real box <laughs> It turned out like pretty decent. Yeah, I mean that is uh, if there is a deluxe package for the DVD, <laughs> that would be that would be the upgrade. I would I would give to that Kickstarter upgrade if I could get a box yeah. of what was the serial called again? Did you find the box, Damon? No. Great and grain. That's <laughs> that's so good. Single yeah. mom size. 
<laughs> I mean, that, that's the other thing about this film. I, you know, I was sucked in from the first scene because the dialogue was so funny. And I think, you know, as opposed to those other superhero movies that have lots of CGI abilities. Um, there I is CGI in this film. What? Is there, there is. Yeah, there's one scene with CGI in it. Mm. Um, when uh, when Hotwire is driving along, dumping the breakfast cereal out the car window, Michael actually animated the cereal into that scene. Hmm. Oh my! The yeah, secrets that of was our big on. CGI budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For so for like that scene, we went. I we, we bought cereal because I intended to have him just shaking cereal out of the car, but we only bought like a couple boxes. And by Ooh, take like gone, but yeah, by take three or four, all the cereal is gone. And I, I said to Kevin, I was like, "Hey man, just shake it like there's cereal coming out of it, and I'll add it later." I mean, I had like. I feel like I had the the, the root. I had never animated anything, but I had the rudimentary like knowledge of how to do it. It took me like a couple weeks to do. <laughs> it was just tell. It was like the dumbest thing. Yeah. Do you uh, know what though? I well, so that I have this quote from Penn Jillette. It, it's in the residence documentary where he was talking about like his reverence for the residents, and he said, you know. If you if you wait until you know how to do something to do something, you'll never do anything. Mm, oh, yeah. And I have that in my office at work. Yeah. Print it out and tape to the wall as a reminder. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, man. Like I like I watch Great Guy and it, like I am like a little bittersweet, like the distance between making it and now. I, mean, I don't know. Like like I'm a different person. And so, and so I feel like that is the, that's the lens I'm looking at it through, you know, because yeah. Ray Guy hasn't changed at all. Like it's exactly as it was back then, but like, you know, technology has changed. My idea of filmmaking has changed. Um, and to look back, like just to, I mean, cause the story is like fun and interesting and silly and yeah, that dialogue, man, I like, I wanted that dialogue to be like, just weird and just like realistic, you know, like how yeah. people like really talk. And so, and I, I don't know, I look back at it and it has like, even now it has still has so much potential, but I feel like it's held back by time. You know, we've had like a, literally a million superhero films since, since we shot that, you know, I feel like superhero films just have gone through the roof in popularity and analyzed the superhero from so many different perspectives mm -hmm. that I feel like now great guy is kind of like, eh, you know, the whole like uh, philosophical, you know, self examination of a superhero. It's just, it's been done now. Well, um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I tell people about it and they're like, Oh, so it's like kick-ass and it's like, Right, right. Sure, I guess. But like we had this idea before, <laughs> you know, we had this idea before. And I think, <laughs> you see, I did not like Kick-Ass. I, I was one of those films that I had to yeah. watch. Family was like, well, you got to see this movie. Family was visiting. And I I think there was just something so profoundly like weird and demeaning about Kick-Ass. And that scene where she's getting really beat up, I just feel dirty. Oh. Uh. And What's I just, I just, I just didn't like it. And 
I think for this, it, for me, it's like part of, again, one of the things that I found that I really enjoyed about the film was perhaps in the absence of these other filmmaking crutches hmm. of being able to really do like really elaborate sets, really sexy, famous people on screen, yeah. uh, all the CGI, that there's an actual story and that there's funny dialogue. And like, I mean, the scenes with the mom with great guys, mom are just so good. The Russian landlord. I mean, there's so many things about this film, <laughs> you know, that are just the flashbacks, the lawyer, the, in some ways, even the, you know what, there's four protagonists of this film, the legal assistant. Mm, yeah. You know, has she, to make a choice. Real- She's the real hero of the film, as far as yes. I'm concerned. Sarah mm-hmm. Montgomery is, you know, is is the real superhero in that yes. movie. She saves great guy. You know, she great does guy. save great guy. Great yeah, guy doesn't save anybody except for that pug. <laughs> yes, which hey, you know, it's the Ned Ryerson theory of of um Groundhog Day. It's not that he had to grow as a person; he had to just buy the insurance. <laughs> if he just bought the insurance, he would have just went, moved on with his life. In mm. some ways, yes, is the, the Sarah Montgomery theory of great guy. I'm launching it right now before yeah. the DVD is out. The, yes, the film was premiered on a big screen, but before everybody knows about it, that film is really the Sarah Montgomery theory of great guy. I'm, I'm, I'm owning it. Mm. Copyright. <laughs> but but yeah, th- that for me is what is so compelling about the film and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was, I mean, such an interesting and like, like eye-opening experience. Like we, we like met so many people, like just, and, and like had like so many people just offer like kindness. You know, we had friends yeah. being like, hey, you can shoot in our garage or here, like use our house or some guy like literally off Craigslist, we were like, Hey, we need a white car that we can uh, tie a a light to. And this guy, literally we showed up to his house and he just handed us his keys. And And that guy came to the premiere, by the way, (laughs) the guy who loaned (laughs) us that police car came out and it's, he had this hilarious story. He was like looking for something to do the next night and was like, I wonder whatever happened to that great guy movie. And he was like, oh, it's showing tomorrow. I guess I'll go. Holy like, shit. Oh, holy if he had wow. looked, you know, 48 hours later, the, it would have already come and gone. Yeah, hilarious. Wow. That's, yeah, that's crazy. So that's also, a... he knows people I went to high school with. So small world. Wow. Yeah, but, but like, okay, like that grocery store, like, I, I mean, I think I just called them and I was like, hey, do you, would you mind if we shot like just a little short scene in your store they're like sure what time you know what i mean and yeah like, and they let us go in the back room and everything i mean you know yeah i mean there's I, like i feel like there's very few like there were very few times that, that anyone turned us down or turned us away you know like like people like gave us their time their talent <laughs> i mean we had like yeah, just like such a crazy array of people just involved from like start to finish. Um, yeah. Oh, oh okay. So, so like one expense that we recently had, like after we kind of got the film tightened down to like 90 minutes, 
I was like, hey, I know this guy that could maybe add some like interesting music to the end. And uh, it's a guy that I knew from Chicago. He his like his his main gig is playing music for like improvised comedy, you know, where people are like singing. So like the, he has to like be able to change the mood to a country and Western song on a dime or like, you know. And so uh, so I had him like add add some music to the scenes. And it really like I feel like it really made the scenes pop emotionally and it really made me feel like, God, I wish this was a better film. Like, I wish this film was as good as this man's music, <laughs> you know? Um, man, yeah, it's it's like such a bittersweet thing. And, and like, there's so many, oh, like, 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 that's another thing. It's like, I would love to like sit down just like for like a longer amount of time and just go through every single mistake that we made with this thing. <laughs> Like, well, I, like, is it mistakes or is it, you know, happy accidents? I mean, I think that, I think that something, some of both. Mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that like there were, man, I mean, aside from like, like, like using equipment that within like 10 years was basically obsolete, you know, like, mm -hmm. like, like once DSLR came out in like 2006 or seven, like, holy shit, like the landscape like changed. And so my little 720, you know, DPI uh, resolution just didn't look as nice as, as all the DSLR stuff that was coming out. Mm. Yeah, you that know? footage looked great on like an old conventional like look at TV aspect yeah. ratio TV, yeah. which was how we first watched the footage, you know, was like plugging that camcorder into an old boxy TV and like it was yeah. like, oh, this looks so great. And, you know, in retrospect, like you show yeah. it now on a digital projector and you can see. Yeah. You know, and then there was like, like, like stupid technical things where, where like, I didn't, I did not have a microphone. So stupid, but I was aware that we needed good sound. So, so whenever I shot a scene, I was doing it like. Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi style, where I would shoot the wide and then I would get in super duper close and I'd say, hey, can you say it exactly like you did for the wide? Because I knew that I was going to take that close up footage with the good sound and splice it over any like wide angle footage that, that I had. And so the first six months of me just cutting great guy up was mostly me fucking around with sound and just like wow. fixing the little holes of like bad sound that there was. So I did, you know, about halfway to two thirds of the film. And when Damon took the film over years later, you know, they, they were just, you know, cutting scenes together. They weren't like meticulously like pasting sound and like stuffing words in people's mouths, you know? And I think that, that like the quality, like, you know, you can tell like the difference, like there's. But Michael, I hate to tell you, there's also scenes where those close up, those close ups don't exist, right? Like, yeah, there no, was no. There, there are takes where it's just like, there's no good sound of anybody <laughs> saying that line. And some yeah. of great guys lines, yeah. I was dubbing in my bathroom in Pittsburgh because yeah. the audio quality was so bad. And it was like, well, my voice still sounds pretty much the same. So I'm just yeah. going to re-record some of yeah. this audio. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, it was just like, you know, such a learning experience. Um, 
And I mean, I did video for years after that. And, and I, and I just like, you know, you, you burn like new ways to do things in your brain. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't go to school for this, so it's all like trial by fire oh. basically. Well, I will say it does look good on my 2008 model living room TV, hmm. which the best format for that TV is HD DVD. Oh, yeah. This year, I finally got an HD DVD player. It probably looks decent on a phone, too. You know, if you're like, yeah, I have to say projected at the premiere. It, you know, I was worried about what it was going to look like blowing up mm-hmm. that big. It was all right. You know, it it yeah. wasn't there was not a moment where I was like, oh, God, you know, uh, yeah. it it could have been better. But we knew that going in, you know, <laughs> yeah. and it was fine. So so you're you're making a film on a budget or on a shoestring budget or on a volunteer budget or on a DIY, whatever. Oh, there had to also have been weird stuff that happened, if not just happy accidents where oh, that scene actually looked good or that came out or we found this thing. But there had to have been weird stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, the the two stories that I tell most are about the time the police came and about the time I was really grateful the police didn't come. Um, so the, the time the police showed up was actually when we were shooting the last scene of the film um, where uh, mm. Good Boy is under the overpass and he's doing the spray paint. Um and, you know, we weren't actually spray painting anything. We just found a place where there was a bunch of graffiti already there and had him with a can just kind of tracing the line of the spray paint. And originally we were going to, you know, we were we were being pretty bold about some of the choices we were making, which my next story will uh, <laughs> will sort of elucidate. But um we were going to have him write like screw great guy on a wall somewhere. And at the last minute we were like, no, 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 like you know, if the cops showed up, we'd be in big trouble. And in fact, you know, somebody saw us doing this and called the police and said, you know, there's weirdos under this bridge dressed in costumes doing graffiti. (laughs) And the cops showed up and they were like, we heard you're doing graffiti here. And we were like, no, no, we were just pretending to. And they were like, okay, we want to see everybody's fingertips. And, you know, they checked the, that the paint was not fresh and that we had no, spray paint on our hands and i mean there was spray paint everywhere like we wouldn't have been doing any harm by adding to the spray paint under that overpass but you know uh fortunately we had not added any uh spray paint (laughs) under that overpass because the cops did in fact show up um but the time that i was really glad the cops didn't show up was when we were tooling around in that fake police car because um (laughs) You might have heard that it is illegal to impersonate an officer of the law. And, you know, we had Travis (laughs) driving around in a police car in this fake police uniform. Okay, wait, hold on. (laughs) on. I got to give some backstory. Okay, hold on. Like, (laughs) so in, in 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 the city of Seattle, you can rent a police car, at least back in 2006, you could rent a police car for $10 an hour. And I thought, boom, that's what I'm going to do. But the catch was you had to also rent a police officer. And they, I think they were like, I think, I think like overall it came to like $600. I was going to have to pay just to have like a policeman and a car. And I was like, oh, I could buy a police light, stick it on a white car 
you know, and, and, it, and, and we cut so many corners. Like if you look in the scene where Travis, the cop pulls Kevin, the villain over, and he's like standing there talk, talking to him, all of his insignia, his patches, all of his, uh, all of his sewn patches, all of those were printed paper taped to a blue shirt. Okay. So you can kind of begin to understand like the, the world in which we're, we're, we're working. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to buy a light. Cause I started looking them up on eBay. I'm going to buy a light. It's $75. And then I'm just going to sell it right after. Fast forward to the day that we're shooting. It's the same scene where we had all the cereal being poured out the window, right? Right. So it's illegal in the city of Seattle <laughs> to drive around in a car with a light bar on top, um, especially if it is an actual decommissioned police car, which that was. So, you know, we're... we're Rarely impersonating an officer in this scene, plus throwing cereal boxes out the window in moving traffic. And to make it make matters worse, the way Michael got that shot of the police car following Hotwire is he was riding on the hood of Kevin's car, filming with one hand and holding on to the hood with the other hand. So probably reckless endangerment or something. So we've got like littering, reckless <laughs> endangerment, impersonating an officer. And he's got me and Jeremy who played good boy driving along in my car in front of all this to act as a quote unquote shield car so that we could stop traffic if he <laughs> fell off the hood of this car. <laughs> oh so we're driving God. along and Jeremy turns to me and he says, what do we do if the real cops come? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, Jeremy, there's nothing that connects us to what's going on back there. If the real cops come, we just keep driving. <laughs> so, I mean, Werner Herzog did that for Strozak. Yeah, but he probably had a permit. And no, you know. <laughs> no, actually, the way he did it for Strozak and the, the car scenes where they're driving. He had the camera person. He cut two holes in the roof of the car and he had the camera person loop their belt through the two holes on the, I'm sorry, wow. the hood of the car, the hood of the car so wow. that he could lay. And so they took the car out on the interstate. Wow. And shot these scenes with just the camera person's belt. Wow. Holding them to the car at 60 miles an hour. Yeah. So Werner Herzog could do it. You, yeah, you, I don't. You know. I don't think we went over twenty five, probably. Yeah. So yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know that I would make those same decisions. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you know what I think. I think that as a younger man, and I think I was probably like thirty when I did this. But no, I think that I was like I was a pretty immature and cocky individual. Um. Um. At the same time, how else would we have gotten a shot like that? You know? That's right. And our whole attitude was just, we're going to, we're just going to do it. And we just did, you know, um, the, the one shot that I, I really, that really stood out to me last time I watched it, that I have no idea how you got Michael is the scene where um, good boy drives away to go, you know, go play with the skid marks in France. And mm. there's that aerial shot of the car driving off. Like, mm. where did, where were you? Where did you get that shot from? 
but that that was us in I was I was on a bridge, man. I was on the um, uh, I was on the old the highway, you know, the bridge that goes from Queen Anne to Fremont. Oh, okay. I would climb a tree or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't know how I got up there so quick. I, if it was like stairs or what, but we shot, we just, we just like, sh- we like shot that whole scene like one place, and then we, and then I think we just found a lawn that looked similar, and went there, and then had had him just stand on the lawn. Had you stand on the lawn? while the car drove away and then I just shot it from above. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I don't even know, like, uh, what, like, I don't know what I was thinking with like half of that stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, what's like, like really, you know, because like finishing the film and like talking about it lately with some people, like my biggest regret is us like not editing the story. Like we wrote this fucking story and we didn't edit it at all. Like we just, we were like, yep, that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, shoot it. We should have made some more cuts before we started shooting as opposed to after we were done shooting because the first cut of the film, which, you know, me and um, Vince pulled together, Vince who um, Matt, you might know Vince. Oh he, yeah. I know he, Vince. He co-directed the silence music mm-hmm. video for soundtrack to the picture of the same name. Our first cut of the return of great guy was almost a full hour longer than the version that you watched yesterday. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and you had already cut a, a lot of stuff out, right? Well, that was just the, that was the rough cut with everything in there. Right. Everything. And, and then we started cutting it down. And by the time I sent it to you, it was just under two hours. And then you shaved like another 25 minutes off it, I think. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it, again, like I feel like it's to the detriment of the film because we cut out like so much good and interesting stuff. I mean, really, you know, we were just cutting away the fat, but I think that we could have, if we had kind of looked back at that script at the beginning, we could have gotten, we could have had like a much tighter, 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 tighter script and then shot that and then had like, I think a better, stronger film basically. Well, and I mean, there's stuff in the script that never even in the original script that never even made it to camera. Right. So oh, really like, like well, there was a scene where, um, so in the scene where uh, great guys kind of like shouting at the sky, I'm going to get you hot wire. Um, like hot wire was supposed to be originally was going to be like sneakily secretly watching them. There was mm-hmm. going to be a scene where great guy like was chasing a burglar that was being chased by the police and like inadvertently like oh. screwed it up so that the burglar got away. Yeah. Um, and there was at least one more flashback that was supposed to happen um, with great guy and Sarah in high school because they were supposed to have been high school sweethearts. And I think you can pick that up from the dialogue, mm. but, um, but Elisa who was, who played Sarah was just not available on the day that we were shooting the flashbacks. And it was just like, well, we'll do it later. And then, you know, later just didn't ever happen. So, mm. you know, I, I think again, you can pick it up because they have the conversation about what he was like in high school and, um, 
you know, that they used to be romantically involved. And I think you can, you can piece that together and Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you can't, but uh, I did. Well, there's that great zinger line. I can't believe what was it? I can't believe we used to have sex. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. it's just like, ah, you know, and it works, but, but there was supposed to be a scene, you know, at the end of the movie, um, Daxi Darby, the evil lawyer calls her, uh, the cheerleader. And there was supposed to be a scene where like, they were in high school and like he was the football player and she was the cheerleader, you know, but that never, that never was committed to tape. Well, I don't remember that at all. But again, the creative writing professor in me says, well, you have to kill your darlings. Yeah. (laughs) You have to kill your darlings. And I think there's a way in which, you know, making something you, you can never appreciate it the way someone from the outside can. And having that sense of audience. And mm-hmm. again, I, I the film is delightful and fun. And I'm not just saying that, Damon, because you're one of my closest friends. Um, it's amazing. It's, it is just such a delightful film in terms of its sense of fun, its sense of, you know, brevity. I'm so glad. I mean, I hate the two-hour convention. The, the now convention that movies have to be two hours and five minutes to tell a story. I hate that, mm-hmm. hate that, hate that. Um, the fact that it's a 90 minute film or a 86 minute film, I think it is, mm-hmm. um, is fantastic. It's just so much fun. And I think I, the know, fun that you all had making it uh, transfers in some maybe invisible way in onto the screen. That's great. I'm, I mean, I'm really glad to hear that that that's like an outside viewer's perspective of it. For me, it's, it's hard not to watch it imagining what I thought it was going to be when we were making it, you know, Mm. and, but nothing is ever that, you know? Um, And it's been, you know, it was really hard for me to like, to let go of what I wanted it to be in the name of embracing the idea of it actually getting finished and coming out, you know, which I think was really kind of like the, the, like balance that we were trying to <laughs> to strike in the later years of post-production mm. when we were, you know, when um, I think, and, and I don't say this to be critical at all, because I think actually having these, these two perspectives was important, but, you know, on the one hand, we had Michael who was like really like picking apart the details and trying to make it as like tight and precise and like clean and good as possible. And I, on the other hand was like, Michael, it's been 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years. Let's get the movie out, you know? And it was, but I think it was that, that sort of um, tension, if you will, that led to what we actually got, which I'm, you know, at the end of the day, pretty happy with overall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a fun movie. So speaking of which then, and it coming out, how can folks see the return of great guy? So right now you can't um, <laughs> unless um, unless you came to the premiere event and um, signed up for a <laughs> um, signed up for a DVD copy. And we will have um, we're doing a short run of DVDs. They are going to have some deleted and extended scenes on them, as well as perhaps this interview that you're listening to right now. Um, so we're doing that. Um Originally, I think we thought we were just going to put it online for streaming um, and just let people have it. But based on the reactions that we've gotten from folks who've seen it so far, 
we decided it's worth submitting it to some film festivals. And so um, we've submitted it to two at this point. One is um, Project Nerd, which is a newer um, kind of, I don't want to call it a low budget film festival because I don't know what their budget is, but they feature a lot of like lower budget films and comedies and films that have sort of like a nerdy element to them. So obviously the superhero tie-in sort of fits there. Um, so we submitted to that first. Um, we, you know, decided to shoot for the moon and submit it to Seattle International Film Festival, which we always said we would do back in the day. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know, probably there's, nobody from Seattle International Film Festival that will ever hear this interview. So I'll just say, I don't think we have a snowball chance in hell of getting in there, but uh, hey, you know, um, sometimes people like movies. to root for the, well, and sometimes people like to root for the underdog. The bottom line for us was that, you know, that's one of the more expensive festivals to submit to, but if 50% of your film is shot in Seattle, they waive the fee. Um so we were like, well, you know, why not? And, um, and our friend Brandon uh, encouraged us to do it after seeing the film. Um, and so we were just like, well, what the heck? Why not? So, you know, I suspect we're going to pick out a few other film festivals to submit it to. I think we're both kind of like browsing the list right now to look for um, to look for options. I'm currently that, sipping from a Cleveland International Film Festival bottle. I'm just saying. Yeah, I know you've been a you've been a booster for them for for years. Um, I haven't looked into what that costs recently, but mm. that you know they might be on the list. Um, I think their deadline's coming up, so look into that soon. Yeah, yeah. Because the we'll festival do. is in March and April, or March or April. Um. Yeah, so I think we'll submit to some more film festivals and then, you know, if that goes anywhere, great. And if not, it'll be it'll be available for streaming. If you just have to see it for that, you can contact us at the Facebook page and we'll send you a DVD. Uh, I think I said fifteen dollars postage paid at the uh, at the premiere. So. All right. And also, I just want to hang out with you all in Cleveland, so. <clears throat> It's now time for the bottom five, a series of questions that are not related to our main topic that are of a surrealistic and or philosophical nature. Uh, the added bonus, since this is a collaborative project and there's more than one guest, um, you have to choose. You can only choose one answer. You cannot you cannot each have your own individual answer. You must, as you have collaborated on this film project, talk through and figure out one answer to these questions. Are you ready? Got it. Let's do it. Question one. Out of all of the possible ways to die, what is the way you least want to die? Hmm. I mean, I feel like quicker is better. We can agree that quicker is better. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like buried alive seems pretty horrible. Yeah, I think I think buried alive. But, you know, there was that one scene in Kill Bill when she punches uh, herself out of the coffin and then through the dirt. I think I could do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, no, I'm being serious. You, your life depends on it. Right. You're going to do it. Did you see her punch that coffin? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, she, and then when she finally broke it, she just like clawed her fucking way dude 
Come on. <laughs> Is that our answer? Well, <laughs> buried alive? Buried al- yeah, I mean, I mean, like, assuming that didn't work, like, let's say you tried that and it didn't work. How do you die, though? That's just that's just you suffocating, though. Yeah, yeah but yeah. in a t- in a tiny box in total darkness, you know, that yeah, that's not good. That that's not that bad, though, but, but that's not know. as bad. That's not as bad as starving. Mm. Yeah, that would be rough. Star- starving to death, I think, is, would be the worst. You know, but in what situation would you starve to death? Zombie apocalypse, you're in a you're in like a jail, like a like a prison jail cell, and there's no way to get the key. You're just stuck in there. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's pretty awful, right? You've got the uh, isolation, but it's long. You could probably hang yourself quicker, though, with your sheets, assuming that it's a it's a nice enough jail cell that you have sheets. No, you know, they don't have sheets. We go with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, question All right. two, and you can't say the Starting return of to death in a zombie apocalypse jail cell. Okay. Yes, that's <laughs> nothing good about that. Um, two, and you can't say the return of great guy. I'm sorry to say that is not an answer. Name a film world you would like to visit or live in permanently. If you could like Gumby a film. And jump into that DVD box and you're literally in that world of the film. What's a film you would like to visit or perhaps live in permanently? That's a tough one. Now, for me, and I, again, I don't speak for Damon, but like, I think, I mean, I like a lot of different films for different reasons. But if it was going to be like a film that like, I had, am I living in there forever? Well, you could visit or live in permanently. It's your choice. Mm-hmm. Dealer's choice. See, that, but see, but that's different. See, living forever, you'd want to be in like the parent trap, you know, that, that version from the 60s or uh, the sound of music or something. Mm. But if you want to go visiting, you know, I mean, you could go, fuck, man, there's a million places I'd go from just visiting, you know, 1985. To uh, um, is it the enchantment under the sea dance? Oh, Back mm. to the Future. <laughs> Though you know, I'm going to ruin Back to the Future. I think I've mentioned this before on this podcast, but I was just thinking about this the other day. Is you know they recast Marty? Yeah, right. That Eric wasn't the original Stoltz Marty. Yeah, was yeah. the original Marty, and yeah. he refused to play the film as a comedy. Because he didn't think it was a comedy because he said, yes, but when Marty gets back, he's going to be completely alienated from everything that he knows. His family (laughs) is completely different and had all of these different experiences. And so even his family will not be the same. And so he's going to have to live the rest of his life with the first 17, 18 years in just this total isolation that no one else could relate to. And so he saw the film as a tragedy. Yeah. And I think about it like, that's, that's like being buried alive and suffocated. (laughs) It's like really not good. I mean, I mean, it'd be interesting to explore that, you know, take it in a different direction. You know, they got that drama, uh, fresh Prince of Bel-Air. 
I mean, I mean, that could be really interesting. I, I mean, I really, man, that's why I'm sorry. I, I almost said, I almost said that the film we shall, we shall not name. Can't do it. It's too easy. I don't know. What about like Ghostbusters or something? That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get to see New York in the eighties, but there's ghosts flying around. You know, that's, then you would actually think about it. You would be you know? the only people to it to you. You, you would know for sure that there was an afterlife. I mean, that's it's true. weird. Yeah. It's, it's weird to like, think about movies from that perspective. Like where would I want to, what movie would I want to live in? What movie would I want to visit? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like usually I watch movies for like, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's such a weird, how do you choose that? You know? Well, I mean, here's why, here's why I chose Ghostbusters because it's probably the movie I've watched the most times. So that really? implies to me that I would want to visit it, you know? Wow. Cause you kind of do visit it when you watch it. Is that like a, is that like a, you're sick home from work, you're putting on Ghostbusters kind of a thing, or is it like, totally? A, but, but also like at Halloween, it's great to put on. I've seen sure. it on the big screen a couple of times, mm. you know, ever <laughs> since I was like five years old, you know, or, you know, whatever, whatever age I was when that came out, or yeah. whatever age I was when it came to VHS, which would have been how I first saw it. So, sure. I, you know, I don't know. That's probably my answer. That's so interesting. Ghostbusters. All right, let's go with Ghostbusters. All right. Question three. Of the living villains of history, whose obituary would you most like to write? Of the living villains? Living villains of history. This person has to still be alive. Whose obituary would you most like to write? Or whose biopic would you most like to direct? Of the living villains? Of the living villains. Can't be somebody yeah, like dead. Real people. Real people alive in the year 2022. This was the, the Christopher, I call this the Christopher Hitchens question, immortality. One of his first thoughts when he got a, his terminal cancer diagnosis, he said, I was so looking forward to reading Henry Kissinger's or Cardinal Ratzinger's obituary. And then he corrects himself. He said, wait, I wanted to write those. And both of those people are still alive and Christopher Hitchens isn't. So, and it got me thinking like, whose obituary would you, would you most get the most? And it could be like this pure schadenfreude. Ha ha, this person's dead. Or this humanistic, like, oh, they were a cute baby once. And then they turned into a monster. How did that happen? Kind of thing. You could go either way with, with it. I mean, Sarah Palin. I, like what? Sarah Palin. Sarah Palin. <laughs> I mean, I like, like, honestly, like, I feel like Trump is like the biggest fucking monster that, that, you know, like I was reading, I was reading something where it was just like, like, he's the most Googled thing of all time. You know what I mean? And it's so like, yeah, on one hand, it's like, fuck. I mean, I it would make a great biopic. I mean, you know, this like life of like this, like, con man shyster yeah, you know I mean, uh, who ends up being president i mean it's that's almost like one of those truth is stranger than fiction things i mean yeah. i'm sure that movie will exist someday yeah. you know uh is yeah, every, i go with that is everyone reading this this obituary 
does everybody read every now? I mean, it would just, you know, it would be for the Times or the Atlantic or something. Actually, my choice would be David from the editor of the Atlantic. Really? Yes, because he as a language person, as a reader, writer, person of the word, he's the one who invented the phrase, the axis of evil. Mm. And now he's supposedly the center left magazine editor. I mean, you had to sell your soul to the devil to get that, to go on that trajectory, mm. to go from the love of the word to coining axis of evil to now kind of being like, no, Biden, that's, that's a broken human being. That is a broken, sad human being. And I think I'd like to explore, you know, but for the grace go I, how someone who is a person of the word could go you so know, wrong. The more I think about it, man, I don't even think I could make a film about Trump. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to give any more energy. You know what I mean? Oh, I feel true. like I gave yeah. four years of energy. And so, yeah, even though I think he's like the most evil person, you know what? I would just like trade in the film just for the chance to just like urinate on his fucking like on his grave. You know what I mean? Like, fuck that dude. How about a slapstick comedy <laughs> biopic about <laughs> Boris Johnson? <gasps> oh, <laughs> I would watch. I would watch and or make that film. <laughs> yes. Which, by the way, if yeah, you want to if you want to order any records from the from England or anything British right now, the pound has crashed so bad. Oh, wow. I ordered a I ordered a record the other day on Bandcamp Friday and it was like the exchange rate was like. This is practically just buying it in America. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, Boris Johnson slapstick biopic. I pay money to see that. Yeah. Yeah. It could be both of them. Like, it could be Trump and, and Johnson, like a, like a dumb and dumber kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah. That's the answer. That is the answer. <laughs> Question four, then. What's your idea of purgatory like? What would your idea of purgatory be? If, we, if we're going with a purely Catholic cosmology what would your idea of purgatory be like hmm. not hell but it ain't heaven there's still there's still redemption that needs to happen in in purgatory yes purgatory is like the 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 the, you you need to burn some sins off before you go to the good place. Huh. It's like the review. I never read like Dante Alighieri's Purgatorio, but it's like he said it's huh. it's basically the sequel to the Inferno, but you're you're suffering technically in heaven, and then after about five hundred years, you're 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 on you're released on a work release mm. program or whatever. <laughs> but so it's not good, and it's not really forever. You know, I feel, I feel like it'd be like being stuck at a party talking to somebody who's like talking about their cable installation. <laughs> mm. So so in Pittsburgh, Michael, we had a term for for like a nice person. You can't get away from at a party. We called them a, the Punisher. And actually, I mean, that's what purgatory is all about. Right. So um, so. I'm going to go with it. I'm, I'm going to go with that. It's like 500 years of talking to a Punisher about, uh, you know, something completely inane that you That's don't care cool. about at all. Oh but God. for whatever reason, they're, you know, 
too nice for you to just tell them to shut up. Oh my gosh. All right, we're almost through this. Question five, just the one that also really gets people. If we were living in a dystopian future and the only books to survive would be those bound in human skin, would you? And what book would you donate your skin for? And don't say, you can't say the Bible, the Quran, or the complete works of Shakespeare. Somebody already did those. When they unlock the tannery at 6 a.m., those, the, the Bible, Quran, and Shakespeare people were already in line. So clarifying question, you don't have to be like, do you have to be killed for this? Or is it something you could just like leave your body to this? I'm, I'm thinking more, you know, yeah, maybe they like smash your head between a couple cinder blocks or something. And so you have to, you have to like give up your life. You can't just like, and like, if well, you when don't, I do eventually die. No. And if you don't, there's a chance that that book might not pass forward. It might be the one copy to survive mm. forward in human history. So wait, it's a book that that we that we love, or a book that we think is important. Well, that you would you would Dealer's be willing choice. to give give up your skin to save, I guess. Did you walk around with no skin like Hellraiser? I don't think so. <laughs> not well. I guess you could, but I'm just probably I'm not for a terribly here. long time. Okay, so hold on, let me get this straight. So they're maybe building, two weeks tops. So they're building a skin book library. Yes. And they need to like and and they're they're getting everybody's favorite they're getting everybody with a favorite book to to donate their life slash skin for that book. Yes. Or else that's it. There's no more books. The skin library is going to be the only place that has books. Hmm. The only books is the only way those books are going to survive. No PDFs. That's tough. <laughs> there's so many, there's so many good books, you know, like See, that's that's the thing about the question. So many good books, so many books that are worth the 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 thought that people, you know, a hundred years from now or two hundred years from now could still read this and get some meaning out of it, or at least that there's some aspect of human knowledge that needs to survive. Do you uh, do you have what are your top three favorite books, Damon? Oh geez, that's rough. Um, probably <laughs> like on, uh, we got a question to answer here. Like <laughs> I don't know the the trial. Um, Watchmen and jeez. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I give my skin for either of those, though. Mm. I mean, if I had to name three right at this moment, it would be like. I feel like it would be like. I mean, okay, these are going to seem like real, like, uh, whatever. 
Okay, so Salinger's Raise the Roof Beams High Carpenters. I don't know why, but that book is, is like my favorite of his. And oh wait, wait, oh, oh, so nice. oh um on the road for whatever reason, mm. I feel like like I've read on the road probably more than any other book. Like, like it's the kind of book that I could just you like, like your skin for. Well, I mean, it's just like, like I could open it to any page and I know what's happening. You know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't matter. I've read it like so many times or, um, uh, <laughs> and this is, this is a weird one. Brokeback mountain. I don't know why. Because I saw the movie and I was like, ah, I don't get it. But then I read the book. Yeah, the like, novella is really good. And it really, like, I don't know, man. Like, there was something about, um, I don't know. It was just a really fucking good book. And I I don't think that, that any of those books are, like, the, the greatest works of art of all time. But those are, like, three books that, like, always come to mind when I think of things that like literature that's like meaningful, at least to me, you know, but, but, but I also love that you picked Watchmen, man. Like, I think Watchmen is like such a fucking, that's like such an epic fucking story. The movie was interesting. I feel like he didn't quite like get it. Like, yeah. Agreed. Perfectly. But I've come back to that's that's one that I've come back to again and again and again and again and again. I mean, since like since I was young and I read it as like a like straightforward, like kind of screwed up superhero narrative to like now, obviously, there's a lot more going on there than, mm -hmm. you know, I got when I read it when I was 13 or whatever. Um, still, though, like, do I give up my skin for it is the question. And you know, I think I think that's the one Be because here's the thing, like. This is all about superheroes, man. You know what I'm saying? You're a superhero. I'm a superhero. We got to we gotta give up our skins for Watchmen, I think, man. All right. If nobody else in line has already uh, given it up for Watchmen, then then I guess I guess I guess we're going to do that. Okay. If somebody else in line has already done it, I'm getting out of line. Hey, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Like, so Damon, let me get this straight. Damon and I both have to give up our skin for this fucking book? The deluxe edition. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Perfect. And on that note, <laughs> I think that's about it. Again, if folks want to see the return of great guy at the moment, it's the Facebook page. That's yeah, the best us, way to hit us up on Facebook. If you're just dying to see it, you can send us 15 bucks and we'll send you a DVD. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to be patient until uh, until we try out the film festival circuit. And it's worth the wait, people. <laughs> yes. Or you can interview us for your podcast. And we'll send you. This is this <laughs> is true. This is true. The, the, the press screener is good. Start um, the film festival. Yes. Uh, our next episode will eventually happen and it'll be about something, I guess. Uh, our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is going to die podcast.com. We're also on Apple podcasts. If I remember to do the verification thing, Spotify, Google podcasts, audible stitcher, tune in podcast addict. And one of these days I'm going to up upload a buttload of 
episodes to Mixcloud. We are on Mixcloud, and we probably haven't been on Mixcloud uh, new uploads for a couple of years because you got to do those by yourself, by manual. <laughs> That's a pain in the butt. Follow us on Twitter at, at Gonna Die Podcast. And of course, we're all going to die on Facebook. Special thanks to Andrew Fox for our lovely theme music. Thank you again to our guests. Damon, it's so good to talk to you again. Always great to talk to you, Matt. And Michael, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Thanks. Thank you. Again, apply to the Cleveland Film Festival. We'll all hang out in Cleveland together. We'll, we'll, go, we'll go to Harvey Picar Park and everything. It'll be great. Cool. Yes. Later, Meets. See you later. <laughs>